According to the Canadian Mental Health Association, one in five people deal with a mental health problem or illness in any given year. During the 2017-18 NHL season, 985 players dressed for at least one game. Now you do the math. Okay, I will. One in five would equate to 197. It's fair to say that at the very least, a large handful of NHL players and athletes in all pro sports have dealt with or are currently dealing with some sort of mental illness. My name is John Levitt. I'm 34 years old. I'm not a professional hockey player. I'm a below average beer league player at very best. But I've dealt with anxiety and bouts of depression on and off since I was 15. I was lucky enough to have a family that identified that I needed help at an early age. But some people in the sports world really aren't that lucky. They don't know how to talk about what's going on in their head, and that a lot of it is normal and treatable. I want to explore why some of these stigmas exist. I want to break down some of these barriers. This is Head Games. Here this evening is Corey Hirsch. Bondra moving in, and a good save by Corey Hirsch. Grave across off in front. What a save by Hirsch. He robbed Johnson. Gabrick putting on the Jets. Hirsch says no. There goes Marion Gabrick. A breakaway against Hirsch. Corey Hirsch the save. He has been spiffy. Corey Hirsch's professional hockey career spanned for 15 seasons, seven of those in the NHL. He became something of a cult hero at the 1994 Winter Olympic Games in Lillehammer, Norway, after helping guide Team Canada to a silver medal. Upon returning from the Games, Hirsch joined the team with his NHL rights, the New York Rangers, who were on their way to winning their first Stanley Cup in 54 years as the team's third-string goaltender. He appeared to have it all on the surface level, but Hirsch was battling demons behind closed doors. You know, debilitating like panic attacks and anxiety and, and you know, depressing, dark, really dark thoughts just did not go away. During that 94 Cup run, Hirsch's anxiety became so overwhelming that he tried to break his own hand with a hockey stick just so he could go home and hide what was going on in his head. But he couldn't break it, and he just left himself with a bad bruise. Hirsch was traded to Vancouver a year later. After a solid and healthy first season with the Canucks, the wheels fell off the following year, as he puts it. The dark thoughts became crippling, and he lost a ton of weight. He felt like he couldn't play anymore. That's when he finally reached out to someone. I tried to hide it for the longest time, figure it out on my own, um, without getting help, where uh, I confided in a trainer with the, with the Vancouver Canucks and got help from there, and was diagnosed with obsessive disorder. Uh, from that point, it was probably a good 10 years six therapists before I found someone that could really help me. Um, I did a therapy called um, ERP that um, really worked well for me, uh, but it was it was difficult, it was so difficult. Um, probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And then it was probably uh, 10 years after that is when I came out with some, you know, my story in the Players' Tribune. So from the time diagnosis happened, that would have been 96-ish, 97. Um, you know, we're looking at, you know, uh, uh, hiding my illness, mental illness for another 20 years after that, before I came out in the Players' Tribune. So, uh, 
you know, even though I had been diagnosed, I was still, you know, ashamed and um, embarrassed about that and didn't, didn't want to come out publicly because of the stigma. And, um, you know, 20 years later, finally, we're in a safe place, I think, where, uh, you know, the people before me have really paved, paved the way, the Sheldon Kennedys, the Theo Fleury, the, um, you know, Michael Landsberg, Clint Malarchuk, Claire Hughes, um, you know, those people really paved the way for me being able to uh, feel safe to tell my story as well. Corey, now, what's it like dealing with that guilt and shame that comes along with your mental illness? As you said before, you know, it seems like you should have it all, but there's something going on behind closed doors that people aren't really aware of. So what's that like? A lot of the the thinking that you do is, is very deep and it's very dark and it's negative and it's embarrassing and it's shameful. Um, that's what mental, you know, illness does. You know, it it, it attaches, you know, of uh, how do I say it? Almost where you start to begin to to really hate yourself and not like yourself and not like the way you're thinking and not right. I mean, and then you start to believe it, and then um, it's a big cycle. And then you know, then you don't want to tell anybody you're thinking that way because people will look at you strange. You don't even want to go to a therapist because you know you're embarrassed to to say that you're thinking these things or they'll lock you up or, or, you know, they're going to put you on suicide watch and they're going to write. I mean, so that, that keeps people from getting help. It's you get trapped in your own mind. Um, and it's, you know, and you don't want, you don't want your teammates to know. You don't want anybody to know. You don't want your family to know that, that these thoughts are happening when, when really, you know, it's just, uh, it's like the way I, I say it in, in, in the players tribune article, it's your brain is really just lying to you. Um, you know, and, and, and everybody thinks, well, why would I lie to myself? But, you know, our brains are very complex things, very complex things, right? We don't understand even a tenth of, of what goes on, um, you know, in our brains. So uh, it's just something that kind of happens to a lot of people with depression and, and deep, dark, negative thoughts. And they're tra- they're treatable. That's the thing. If you will, just reach out and and get help but um you know the shame attached to it the embarrassment attached to it um is what keeps people from getting help and you end up a prisoner in your own mind now Corey, ocd is not a disorder of harm it's a disorder of hyper protection as you've pointed out uh have you been able to use some of that in your own life as a strength and knowing that you can be a great protector of the ones you love I, th- I think so. Yeah, just you know what it, it shows. It just shows that you're a really caring human being. Um, but uh, it, the people with OCD is is that there's there's a point where you know you care so much about other people that you forget to care about yourself, right? Yeah. So, um, and that and that is a that's a that's a huge trait of OCD is is that you know it's. It, it, it that's exactly it. You start to worry so much about others that you, you forget about self-care about you. And if you can't take care of you, you can't take care of anybody else, right? So it's a, like I said again, it's a, it's a vicious kind of cycle where you get trapped in your own head. And um, and depression can be you know similar where you get you get trapped in those you know people are everybody wants you to just get out of those thoughts or just you know why can't you just be happy or why can't you just do that you get trapped in those in that cycle you know that cycle of negative thoughts and there's a comfort in it too right i mean yeah that's the one thing that i found is is that sometimes there's a comfort in depression sometimes there's a comfort in um you know it's hard work to get out of it right uh, it sucks but um, you know, OCD was even part of me was hard to get rid of it because it had been so long that I didn't know what I would be like without it. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and I was scared to find out what a kind of person I was without it. Great. OCD for me, um, the way I look at it, and this is, a, these are all, again, I'm not, I'm not a qualified therapist or anything. Let's, let's reiterate that in this, in everything I do. But for me, um, everything I speak about is based on my own personal experience. It was a way to not have to deal with real life in a sense. Right. So, um, my brain kind of figured out a way where I could focus on something else and not have to deal with real life. Right. So Mm -hmm. of who I really was. Um, and there's a comfort in that. So that's kind of how I saw it. In February, 2017, Hirsch penned an article in the player's tribune where he came forward with his struggles with OCD and depression. He detailed his suicide attempt that occurred in the summer of 1994, where he nearly drove his sports car off a cliff in Kamloops, British Columbia. He opened up to the sports world in a very vulnerable and honest way. Um, I had met another player that had been in and out of rehab and had um, been resuscitated on a suicide attempt pretty much by his, by his own parents. Um, and it was then at that point where I was like, you know what, there's so many more people out there suffering with this that I didn't even know about, right? I mean, at the time, a lot of times I thought I was one of the only ones, but uh, with obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, all those things, we're talking 20% of the population, right? You know, there are so many people that needed to hear my story and it just, it had to come out and it had to be able to, it came out. I I wanted to write a book initially, um, but the Players' Tribune article just really, um, you know, got to the masses of people so much quicker than what a book could have ever done. So just moving over to the NHL now, uh, it seems like they've made some strides in dealing with mental health, but it seems like maybe they still have uh, ways to go in educating players. Do you think that's an accurate statement? I, I think there's a long way to go. I think our, the next generation is a lot more um, acceptable than, than you know my generation was. People are starting to accept that mental health is, is health, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's no different than anybody else. Um, just because you have depression or anxiety or, or bipolar or schizophrenia that, you know, you're no different than anybody else. You didn't ask for it. Um, you know, that <laughs> you're just, that's what it is. You got to deal with it. So I think this generation of players is a lot more accepting. I think the league, um, you know, is, is touching on it. I think they'll do a lot more in the future. Um, but yeah, a lot more has to be done to educate, uh, you know, our players and, and our younger players that, Hey, if this happens to you, it's not the end of your career. Go get help, get it fixed, get back on the horse and get playing again. What does need to be done though is, um, you know, is more education on mental health, right? Like so that you don't wallow in depression for four years before you realize, Oh, I'm depressed. Right. And that's what happens is that it's, if you, you get obsessive compulsive disorder, you get depression and people sit with it for three, four five years like a compared to almost like a cancer, right? Well, where do you want to be diagnosed? Do you want to be there diagnosed at stage one or stage four, right? If you, if you let it um, kind of fester and get worse and worse and worse and don't go get treatment, well, the harder it is to treat. And mental health is very similar. So we need to educate people where, you know what, this is what I heard about. This is the stuff I read about in school. This is the stuff I've been taught about in school right away. And, you know, within a week or so, um, they can go get help. Right. And then it's so much easier to manage rather than someone that's, you know, laid in in bed for four years, been depressed, had suicidal thoughts, you know, and it's so hard to get out of that 
um, you know, you spiral down, you dig a hole, you got to fill that hole back in when you get therapy. So it's, to me, it's about educating everybody and letting them know, you know what, Hey, Oh, this is that obsessive compulsive disorder thing that people talk about. Um, go get therapy right, right away. And it doesn't, you won't have to get to that place where, you know, where it gets so bad that you want to harm yourself. So Kevin, you are now the new face of mental health in the NBA. How does that feel? You know, suffering with anxiety and depression for a long time and to having my first panic attack on, on November 5th and not really knowing what that meant to, to fast forwarding being here now, it's changed my, my frame of mind and it really, I really do believe in, in, in writing my piece that everybody is going through something. So knowing that it doesn't discriminate and knowing that I'm trying to change the stigma, not only for, you know, people in sports, but all over. I know a lot of people shame the talk about it, you know, even myself for a long period of time, you know, people wonder why I was such a quiet guy, you know, and that was part of it. I just finally got to that point to where, you know, it was time for me to say something. Now, Corey, uh, this past year, NBA stars such as Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan have opened up about their struggles with mental health, and several other current and uh, former players detailed their struggles in a series of pieces with ESPN's Jackie McMullen this past summer. Uh, what does it mean to have players of that caliber in that sport come forward and talk about the issues that they've had? Yeah, Kevin Love's done a, a great job. Um, DeMar DeRozan, um, those guys coming forward while they're playing is absolutely monstrous for mental health uh, because what it shows is that you can still be a player at an extremely high level and, um, you know, be a player at an extremely high level and get help and get therapy and continue to play at that high level right yeah there's there's still a stigma attached to it that you know well if a player has those things can he be a champion right because everybody wants to win a championship trophy yep. um i guarantee you there are nhl stanley cup champions out there that have gone through ocd anxiety depression um you know, bipolar and they got stanley cups in their back pockets they just haven't come on and said anything so uh you know that that whole mess is all is all bs but uh, you know the the one thing I, I had an interesting conversation um you know with some people and it, it, it to me it's like okay, if a guy has a, a shoulder problem that he's not getting help for well you know what I, I probably um you know if I'm a general manager and he's not getting help for a shoulder problem I'm probably not going to want him on my floor or on the ice right he needs help for a shoulder problem yeah um and he should go get help and it's this mental health should be the same if somebody's getting help for their mental health issue they are just as effective on the ice or on the floor if they're not well then that's an issue right i mean that's an issue for anybody you need to go get help and these players need to go get help and they need to be able to reach out and get help to be able to be um better players and once they get the help just like it you know if someone has a shoulder injury you gotta get the rehab you gotta get it fixed and then you're fine you can get out there you can go play you can play at a high level um you know that should be the way it should be perceived is is that just because someone has a mental health issue um they should be able to get help and be able to play at that high level again chris bosch said in response to kevin love opening up is that honestly he you know might try to exploit that um do you think that's still part of the issue with guys not coming forward because they think you know they might be giving a competitive edge to another player if they open up uh, I don't think so. They shouldn't if they do. Um, you know, like I just said, uh, you know, how many how many gold medals did Michael Phelps win? Here's a guy with depression issues and anxiety issues. He won eight gold medals. Uh, you know, like, guess what? 
just because you have depression and anxiety, you can still be a champion and you can still be a champion at a high, high level. Right. So, um, uh, if someone does think that, I, I don't think, um, you know, that is something that uh, I wouldn't be concerned about. Right. Like I would, uh, if, if a player is a good player or a, an athlete is a great athlete, uh, Depression and anxiety, you know, it might might knock them out for a little bit till they get it figured out. A couple of weeks here or there till they get some therapy or on some medication, and then back at it. Right, they can still be that same high level player. So anybody thinks that, uh, you know, that that stigma of of oh you have an anxiety issue or you, that makes you not mentally tough enough. I think Michael, Michael Phelps blew that out of the water with eight gold medals. Now, Corey, you've been at the forefront of a lot of these issues uh, in becoming a mental health advocate. How has it changed your life over the past couple of years with all of this? It's interesting because it's, you know, the first half of my life, being a hockey player was all about me. It was about, um, you know, how can I get to the NHL? How can I make millions of dollars? How can I win a Stanley Cup? It was, you know, it becomes it's such an I thing. It's such a me thing. And that's, that's what it is in professional sports. But, you know, since this, it's been, you know, more about my life's been more about significance. Well, how can I help others? How can I, you know, uh, um, you know, how can we do something for somebody that's struggling out there? So, um, I saw it on Oprah once. It's interesting, you know. She said the first half of your life is about you. The second half of your life is about significance, and that's, you know, a legacy. And what are you going to leave? And that's kind of how I, I felt about it. Um, you know, really, is, is that this has given me, yeah, this has been absolutely one million times more rewarding than any hockey game I've ever played and you know at the end of it have, have come out and won um, yeah, yeah you can't I can't describe the feeling of, of um, you know what it's like to when someone says that, you know you've changed their life or you've helped them or you've saved their life or or in that sense so that is a million times better than any hockey game I've ever won in my life Ben Meisner is not Connor McDavid Ben Meisner is not really a well-known name in the North American hockey world. But this past August, he made a big impact on it in telling his story about his mental health struggles in a Players' Tribune article called I Am Not Connor McDavid. Meisner is 28 years old, a goaltender from Halifax, Nova Scotia. After playing four years of Division I NCAA hockey at American International College, he was signed by the Anaheim Ducks organization and spent three years in the East Coast Hockey League. He has since moved on to play professionally in Germany and has just begun his fifth season there. His similarities with Corey Hirsch don't end simply in the position both men play. For most of his playing days, he struggled with mental health issues as well. I mean, I really was aware of that I was, you know, anxious and stuff probably when I was in college. Uh, like freshman, sophomore years was especially bad. But uh, going back... Uh, going back like to my childhood is when it probably really started, but I didn't really know what it was. You know, I didn't really know there was a name for it. I just thought like, this is the way, you know, I think, or I am. And I didn't really know anything was wrong, but I started to realize in college that, you know, I, uh, that was, I, what I was feeling wasn't normal. So uh, I kind of became more aware of it during that time frame and was able to kind of, piece it all together on my own uh, back to my childhood did you did you see a, a doctor a psychologist of any sort did you did you talk to anyone about it at that age no i didn't no 
Okay. I, I wish I would have. I uh, I saw some stuff, went through some stuff, and I really uh, really wish I would have. Uh, might have uh, might have really helped me uh, kind of combat my my demons. I I should say maybe that's a, a strong word, but mm-hmm. it might have really helped me. Uh, you know, be able to construct a better reality for myself. Right, and uh, in your Players' Tribune article, you mentioned in, in 2013 when you were with uh, uh, Utah, the ECHL, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, were, you, were in t- you came to tears because of uh, panic attacks. Is that something you had experienced beforehand, or is that, was that the first time when, when you know, your anxiety no. really kicked in? No, no I, I was having problems with that all throughout uh, college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was having panic attacks pretty well every day, every other day. So uh, it was, yeah, it was definitely uh, something that I'd experienced before, but they just seemed to be getting more and more frequent, and uh, the severity was more and more harsh. And, uh, you know, just because the pressure of that environment, you know, in school and, and whatnot, you're, you know, you're you're safe, you know, and they can't really get rid of you, you know. they can They can bury you if you're not playing well. They can you know, recruit somebody else, but, you know, like you're still there, your scholarship's intact and all that good stuff. So, but like when your, your income, your housing, your health insurance, your financial stability, when all of that is hanging in the balance, 24 hours, 24 hours, there's really no, really no time to breathe. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that's the way it was going in, but uh, I never knew just how taxing it would be on me. And, you know, hockey has to be that way. I'm not saying that, you know, it's, you know, pity party or this or that. The other thing, like, it has to be that way because of the way player movement is and the way hockey structures and professional ranks you. You have to be able to release guys, trade guys, and move guys. Like, you have to. And But uh, for me, just with my issues, it made it really, really hard to kind of swallow and deal with. So what's it like then, I mean, you know, given your mental health, being a goaltender? Because it seems like, you know, a goalie is sort of the most, um, you know, pressure situation or pressure position in all of hockey. Do you think people kind of just, like, wrote you off as being the, you know, there's always the quote-unquote, you know, goalie quirks. Do do you think that's how people sort of uh, viewed you? And is that something you maybe reverted to as well? Because, you know, given that's the position you play, that's something you're, you know, supposed to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really think so. I mean, goaltending obviously is a pressure-filled position, but for me, when I played, uh, everything went quiet. That was my escape. That was my outlet. That was the one place where the world like went absolutely quiet, and there was no fears or anxiety. I was just out there playing. Uh, but uh, in terms of like just being uh, labeled weird, like I was, I was a bit beyond quirky because I just didn't know how to like talk to people. I didn't know how to relate to people. I didn't know how to have a a normal conversation. I didn't really know how to, when I saw other people talking, like I felt like I was just watching a movie. I had no real idea about how to interact in a team environment or a social environment with people, like even like over a group of three or four. So like, for me, it was just like probably being labeled as more than just uh, a a weird guy. Like I borderlined on probably strange and, uh, yeah, I'm sure people kind of had no idea what uh, what was going on, and 
you know, I wish sometimes people would have kind of taken the time to get to know me one-on-one because they would have seen just how much I cared and how much I wanted to win and how much I wanted to do right by anybody, everybody and not hurt anybody and make sure everybody, you know, felt that I would go to battle for them. And, uh, and a lot of guys did, a lot of guys didn't, but uh, that's just the way it goes. You know, you can't please everybody. You can't reach everybody. Uh, it's just the way the world is. And, uh, so yeah, I think it was a, a little bit beyond just being weird. It was, it was being strange and unrelatable and, yeah, feeling just misunderstood all the time. Now, in your Players' Tribune article, you, you, know, you, you detail um, your suicide attempt. I'm just wondering uh, mm-hmm. sort of when, when that was and, like, what exactly led you to that point, if, if you don't mind, if it's not, you know, too personal a thing. Uh, what led me to that point was just an, uh, an inability. My, my pain and what I was suffering exceeded my ability to cope. Uh, I saw no future for me. I saw no hope. I saw no possibility to progress. I saw no, you know, I had, I just felt like every, like I had done everything I could do and, and that was it. And I was, I was ready to tie a bow on it and I had no future for myself in my head. When I looked to tomorrow, I, I didn't see anything. I didn't see what I could do, what I could be, how I could progress, what was next, what, what tomorrow would look like. I just, I had no vision of anything. And like, like I said, my pain was just too great. And, uh, I just wanted out. I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with the, the hell that I was living anymore. Uh, how did you go about getting help after that? Um, after that incident? Uh, I, I literally reached out to someone who I trusted. Uh, it was a bit of a slow process and I had to kind of open up to that person and, uh, and they, they made some calls for me kind of behind the scenes and, uh, they're under a bit of an obligation not to say anything. Uh, I was actually a team doctor mm-hmm. and, uh, which is why I kind of chose that person. We'd had a, a special bond kind of over an injury I'd went through a couple, a uh, couple years prior and just kind of, you know, fade and touch and everything. And, uh, and yeah, so when I talked to him, he, he made some calls and, and made sure they bumped me to the, the front of the list. And maybe that was one of the perks of being an athlete. They, they got me in quick and I, I started to endure the, the slow, painful hell that was, you know, therapy. It, so that was the first time you'd, you'd, you'd gone to therapy? Yeah, on on any type of... I'd always tried in the past, like, little bits at a time, but mm-hmm. the way hockey was worked, like, as soon as I would reach out and try and see someone, something would happen or something would change. And, it, it, like, I never could build a consistent relationship with anybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, I found the one person that was able to, to work with me in person, over the phone, from a distance, up close, from afar, you name it. So... We had a really good connection, so I was able to really carry that through for a long period of time, which uh, which really uh, which really helped. And uh, that, that connection is everything. Having someone you trust, someone who really like believes what you're saying and and really sees it as valid, and you you can tell really cares about you. And you know, I always felt that she went to extra lengths for me that she didn't have to. And uh, you know, the more I was in therapy, the more I could see just how much she cared. And I started to realize that maybe other people cared too. And then it was a bit of a snowball effect. But instead of a negative way, a negative way, snowballing, you know, going, everything's getting worse. It started to snowball and everything started to get better. Once Meisner started to get better, he reached out to a fellow former netminder who has dealt with many of the same issues, Corey Hirsch. So I got connected with Ben Meisner about a year ago. 
one of the, the, the people that he talks about that we reached out to in the article was me. So oh, wow. um, we did a lot of, yeah, we talked quite a bit. Um, and he's doing great. Like, he's doing amazing. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so proud of him. Because um, he had some dark days. He really did. Uh, and, you know, he's um, doing extremely well. And he wants to help others. And that's right from what he went through because you know we all go through some tough times and what Ben went through was even beyond what what I went through um and for him to be able to do what he wanted to do and uh he even told me when we first started talking after my players shooting article came out he said I want to do one and my thoughts were you know I I I I want him to be able to do one but you know he wasn't an NHL player or a NBA star or whatever so I wasn't sure how that would be received and you know good on him he's like you know adamant about helping others adamant about you know getting an article out there and he did it um and i'm just i'm really proud of him for what he's done um and how far he's how far he's come along like he's uh he's done an amazing job with himself and it's just proof like and he was at a really like i thought i was at a dark stage like i mean he was at a really really tough spot like a really bad stage and he came through it and he still has a lot of work to do he knows that right but um, like I like I told him, and like I tell everybody, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a, it, mental health is you know it's a lifelong thing. It's um, yeah, it's it's like <laughs> again, you know, you, you have you have knee surgery when you're 21. Well, guess what? When you're 45, you still got to deal with it, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. you have to do maintenance and you have to take care of it and you have to you have to be on top of it. And you know, I give Ben credit. He, I'm really proud of what he's done. Now, Ben, when Corey wrote his Players Tribune article, what did that mean to you? Kind of opened my eyes to some things that I didn't previously know about, and that really just helped in my recovery and helped in my confidence that I could beat the beat the problem and and come out healthy on the other end. So he was instrumental, and we still text back and forth every once in a while to this day. And I'm glad that we can both be on the same team now, fighting this uh, you know uh, stigma together. Now, Corey, uh, it's striking how similar uh, yours and Ben's stories were, you know, nearly ending your lives, but coming through it and talking about them. Now, what kind of an impact do you think Ben's story has uh, made on the sports public? Yeah, well, I think it it brought the fact that, you know what, it's okay to talk about suicide. Um, That, you know, for every, I I don't know what the numbers are, but I think for every, you know, one person that actually attempts it and, and is successful, I think there's... You know, there's something like 20 more attempts, right? So um, we need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to make people know, you know what, if you're thinking about it, um, there's nothing There's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, you know, there's nothing to feel guilty about for thinking it. Um, there's nothing to feel bad about, but that we need to get you some help. Um, and it's okay, right? And give them a safe place to be able to express how they're feeling and what they're thinking. Uh, you know, the old school of thought was is that, you know, suicide was... Um, a terrible thing and and that you're a terrible person for thinking it and you know you should be ashamed of yourself for thinking it well that puts somebody deeper in a hole right i mean that is somebody who's already feeling crappy enough about themselves um you know to let's make them feel even worse for thinking that and and a lot of times it's not even you know like i said their brain's lying to them um you know and so i think we need a safe place to be able to talk about suicide and we will be able to let people know, you know what, those thoughts are okay, but we, we need to get you some help. And it's okay to have those thoughts and that I've had those and other people have had those and gotten through them and are, are living full and amazing lives. So, 
um, you know, stop making people feel ashamed for for thinking those things and, and get them help. Now, Ben, do you think the hockey world is behind the world in the NBA and pro basketball, you know, in their development of mental health issues and players coming forward and talking about these types of things? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. And and what I'm about to say here, I want to put a major disclaimer out that I'm not taking anything away from the NBA or anything else, but the way hockey is, is it's a very violent sport. Mm-hmm. It's hard on your body. I've seen guys playing played through broken bones, punctured lungs, uh, you know, a broken jaw. You know, I mean, geez, I don't, I don't even want to know what else guys have played through. Yeah. And and that's the culture of hockey. Again, basketball is an unbelievably unbelievable sport. Those guys are remarkably talented and phenomenal at what they do. Uh, but just in the way the, the culture of hockey is just different. One's not any more better or worse than the other. They're just different. And mm-hmm. for hockey, it's very much suck it up and get out there. You know, my myself, I was playing in the ECHL. I tore my ACL completely. Mm-hmm. And I went to the, see the doctor and whatnot, and he said, yeah, he, he said, you got two options. You can... You can get the surgery, we can fix it, or if you're comfortable, you know, you can play without it. Mm-hmm. And so literally, I said, well, they're going to have to sign another goalie, and I'm going to miss the rest of the year. And, you know, what if that other goalie is really good? And then all of a sudden, I'm going to miss eight, nine, ten months, and I'm going to only have a handful of pro games. How am I going to get a job next year? So I said, well, I guess I'm playing. So <laughs> a torn ACL. Torn ACL, yeah, I went out and played two days later, and to this day, I don't have an ACL in my one knee. Wow. Uh, I never got the surgery. and But, yeah, so, I mean, that's – I'm not trying to say that I'm, like, super tough for anything, but, again, that that was the thing. You know, the team needed me. I, I needed the team. And so, yeah, when I tore my ACL, it was, it was kind of a, a career in the balance moment. And I said, well, I guess I'm playing, so – Two, three days later after doing that, I went out there and played for the rest of the season and missed a game. <laughs> Jeez. How, how far would it go if, if a superstar player in the NHL, let's say, were to, you know, become open about sort of their struggles with mental health? Is that, is, is, I think is, it'd be it, phenomenal. Is, is, is that something you're kind of trying to, I guess, accomplish as well in, in, in talking about your issues? It, it's got to happen. It has to. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a person. Everybody's a person. Just because you haven't experienced mental health, like mental health does not discriminate against anybody, just like a knee injury or this or that. The other thing, I mean, <laughs> I've seen somebody tear their meniscus from a foot in the air, you know, to swat a bug away from them, you know. And I've, I've seen people in professional sports tear their meniscus trying to score a touchdown, mm-hmm. you know. It's just the way it is, and mental health is no different. Just because you haven't had it yet doesn't mean it won't strike you. All it takes is is maybe one head injury, maybe one death of a loved one, maybe a career-altering change, maybe a life-altering change. You know, all it takes is, is something for something to break in your brain and your, the chemicals not to fire the way they should, mm-hmm. and uh, away you go. So, I mean... I think it's personally only a matter of time before something like that happens. And, 
once it does, I think it'll be a big day because I think hockey, like we talked about, the suck it up and get out there. You know, basketball and other sports have that mentality as well. Like, if you can play through it, play through it. Mm-hmm. But I think hockey is one of the, the roughest, toughest sports and and even more of that get out there and play through it and, you know, a lot of sports. And so I, I think the other sports are are a little bit ahead of the game in terms of their ability to let their players kind of talk about it because, like I said, you know, how, I'll put the shoe on the other foot. Is if I tore my ACL and played through it two or three days later, didn't miss a game, and somebody came to the team and said, like, hey, guys, like, I'm a little down, like, I'm a little depressed, like, I'm going to have to take two weeks off. You know, they're going to look at them and be like, what are you talking about? Like, here's Ben, he's got, you know, no ligament in his knee anymore. Mm-hmm. And he's playing tonight and you're taking two weeks off because you're sad. Like, you know, I just, I just saying it, I know how that would go over. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate. And, and that's what we need to change. Because, like, that head injury is just as, as important as my knee. That's for sure. Getting to your article in the Players' Tribune, why was it important for you to tell your story because I got, because you know, it's titled, it's entitled, I'm not Connor McDavid, which I think is, mm-hmm. you know, you know, s- says a lot about what you're trying to get out there. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, Connor McDavid is not replaceable. I am replaceable. I am not a superstar and I am more like your average everyday person that just happens to be really good at hockey. Uh, than I am a superstar that is probably a little further away from your average everyday person. Uh, so I just wanted to get the message out there that, you know, if if Connor comes out tomorrow and says, I've got a problem, like he's not replaceable, they will do everything and anything for him, right? Mm-hmm. But when someone who's so readily replaceable comes out and says something, those are the people that I think need to be remembered and teams and whatnot need to respect the fact that even though they are replaceable, they're still a person and they deserve to get help just as much as a superstar does uh, just because of the demands and the positions they're in, uh, the money they make and just uh, the overall differences from like an NHL to like an ECHL or SP organization. Uh, So I'm just basically kind of fighting for the jobs of of the people who are playing the ECHL or the AHL or the SPHL in North America and even, you know, teams over here in Europe. Uh, I can only really comment on Germany because that's the only country I'll ever play in. But, uh, you know, it's the guys that are so easily replaceable that, you know, those guys don't get replaced when they have a shoulder separation or they hurt their knee or something mid-season. You know, they have a surgery or they sit out six weeks or they do the rehab and they come back in a month or two months and they play again. But, you know people always fear about if you come out and say you have an injury to your brain where your chemicals aren't firing in the way that they should be causing you to be uh, to sad and, and cry and have panic attacks and, and stuff like that. To me, that's just as much of an injury as a shoulder injury or a, a back strain or a rolled ankle. And there's a treatment for it. There's a plan for it. And if someone says that during the season and they have to take a month or even a couple weeks or however long they may be, I feel like teams should respect that just as they would respect a rolled uh, rolled ankle or a concussion or separated shoulder. Now, have you spoken to uh, other uh, current 
you know, professional hockey players about what you've gone through? And has anyone sort of reached out and been like, hey, you know, I'm going through a similar thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've heard, yeah, I've heard from a ton of guys. I've heard from a ton of hockey players from, from pretty well all levels, uh, from Europe uh, to North America. Uh, I've heard from a lot of hockey players, uh, and I don't expect that to change. I get emails every day. Uh, I've heard from a lot of parents, too, of hockey players and who kind of are looking out for their son or daughter, and uh, their son or daughter isn't ready to kind of reach out to me yet directly themselves. They're kind of reaching out and saying, you know, I, I recognize some of your symptoms and I'm worried. And, you know, as a parent, I, I see this and I see it going in a bad place. And, you know, uh, so I, I get a lot of email from parents as well as players too. Just in your players Tribune article, giving away your email address at the end, I think was something that was, you know, fantastic. And, and that's how I contacted you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I just imagine like, like was your email box just flooded with stuff like that from, from, from all around uh, the world? People, oh yeah. Well, yeah. as, as we speak right now, I've got over 1100 emails Jeez. <laughs> and I probably, re- I probably responded to about 800 of them so far. Yeah. I try and do like 50 a day if I can. Uh, I, I vowed that, you know, I didn't put my email there just to have people reach out to me and pump their tires about how happy they were, how nice my article was. Like, I, I didn't need that. I was, I'm in the business of trying to save people, not mm-hmm. pump my ego. So for me, I vowed I was going to put that there and I was going to respond, you know, personally to each and every one of them, uh, no matter how long it took. And uh, I just kind of made peace with the fact as I started to see just the quantity of emails that rolled in that said, like, hey, like, I'm not going to be able to, to change anything in a day or two days or a week or even two weeks, maybe even a month. And I, I just kind of said, like, I think people will be more pleased with a response like a month later than not getting a response at all or just getting a, a thank you all the best. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I never I never thought people would really be, like, disappointed and say, like, oh, well, I emailed him and he got back to me, like, three weeks later, like, this guy, blah, 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 like... Mm-hmm. Everyone I've emailed back, some people email me back, some people don't. Some people I've got large, a lot of dialogue. Uh, just keep talking kind of back and forth. And, yeah, and some people just say thank you for taking the time to write back. And so, yeah, it's been really good. I'm glad people have reached out. I never thought it would be so many. Uh, but, uh, yeah, responding has been a lot of fun. It's been, a lot, it's been quite challenging, though, too. There's a lot of heavy, heavy stuff that comes through. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people's stories are quite quite hard to read and quite moving. Uh, but I'm always really blessed and, and really feel proud that my, my article spoke to them somehow because that's ultimately what I wanted to do. So it, it definitely feels like I, you know, when I hear all those messages about people telling me their stories, it's, it, you know, I've never felt so much love before. So it's been a tremendous feeling and experience. Since conducting these interviews, another goaltender, Robin Lehner of the New York Islanders, has come public with his mental health issues. In a first-person article for The Athletic, Lehner outlined his substance abuse addiction and bipolar disorder. Much like Hirsch and Meisner, Lehner suffered through bouts of depression and suicidal thoughts. After months in rehab and therapy this past spring and summer, he's now about to enter his ninth NHL season between the pipes. He talked to someone, and he got help. These are professional athletes, seemingly indestructible forces, some of the closest we get to having real-life superheroes. And even they aren't immune to mental illness. 
If you are suffering, please talk to someone. A family member or a friend, a coworker, a doctor or a mental health specialist. You can reach out to me if you like. Email me at johnlevitt at gmail.com. Don't be ashamed or scared. There's hope and so much to live for. Thanks for listening.